everyone. Welcome to our podcast called Frontier Faith. We call it Frontier because it's a place where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or really anything else. It's a place where we explore where we're going, even as we look back to where we've been. My name is Nathan Whitaker. I'm Ryan Harris. And today we're going to continue our conversation on the Trinity, and we're going to look at the second person of that Trinity, the one person that we know the most about, really, uh, Jesus Christ, or in the parlance of the Trinity, the Son. We talked about the Father last time, we're talking about the Son this time, and next time we'll talk about the Spirit. And I want to establish just a little bit about the Trinity in relation to the Son before we get our conversation going, because it's kind of like that assumption behind everything. Ryan and I were taught pretty much the same thing. Um, Most Christians are taught the same thing, even if the explicit theology isn't really taught. And it's simply this, God the Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth. As he was on this planet, he was both uh, human and divine. A lot of the conversation within the church throughout its history has been around who exactly Jesus is. A famous starter of this, or rather infamous starter of this conversation would be Arius. And Arius said that Jesus was... Uh, above the angels, um, but lower than the Father. And he started something called the Arian Controversy, and it was the very first uh, heresy uh, that we know about, at least, um, within the Christian church to declare that Jesus was not lower than the Father. He is part of the Godhead, as we talked about last time. The train of heresies throughout our church history, most of them deal with who Jesus is, even uh, either on his own or in relation to the other persons. So the the little bit of terminology uh, that we'll touch on, or that rather that we'll use, is um, person. Um, I'm not going to teach theology, but person just refers to. Uh, either the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's just the technical language we use. And then there's, when we talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about human nature and divine nature. Jesus is both human and divine. And yeah, so that's the Trinity in relationship to the Son. Did I miss anything? Uh, I don't think so. I I mean, I think, think you covered it. Okay. So... You know, given that context, which, as you said, is probably there for most Christians, although I know there is a side note, there is a large branch of Pentecostals who mm-hmm. actually don't, but that's something else. <laughs> it's yeah. not my, my not my kind anyway. <laughs> um, so given all of that context, then, so what kinds of things, not just what did you learn about Jesus, but like, what were the main things that were taught to you about Jesus or or how did you understand Jesus growing up? Yeah, so the big thing about Jesus is, as we've talked about in our Sin and Salvation podcast conversations, that Jesus really is the atonement, first and foremost. He is I'm the shocked atonement. to hear that. Shocked. <laughs> we have a justification theology that, that privilege, that's privileged above everything else, 
and that uh, justification centers around, or rather it focuses on, a substitutionary atonement. Now, we are not going to be talking about atonement just yet, but just for simplicity's sake, atonement is, we like the narrative from uh, the Exodus. So Passover would be a big thing, the Paschal Lamb, and again, we've talked about this, but for simplicity, it is that Uh, The Lamb of God stands in the place of the one deserving of God's wrath, punishment, the consequences of sin, whatever it might be. Which has a lot of precedent in the Old Testament sacrificial system, which is how that functioned. But in my growing up, it was really more about the Passover as the way that we do that, especially liturgically. Hmm. Um, we don't really draw much connection to the sacrificial system unless it serves some other aim, right? So the, let's say the foundation of that atonement theory um, is within Passover. It's interesting. I mean, that makes sense. Passover certainly works, right? That's not crazy. I just, the way, given the emphasis on atonement and sin that you guys have, it's interesting that, that the sacrificial system, which had whole, I mean, <laughs> gigantic uh, systems for atoning for sin, you know, um, it's just interesting that that's not a bigger part in there. But so Jesus in this description of the atonement being how we see him, he is the Paschal Lamb. He is the Lamb of God, as um, John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, I think it's John the Baptist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I say these things and I don't get confirmation. I'm like, oh, do I know my Bible that well? Well, every once in a while, I'll say something like that, very sure, and then find out, oh, wait, nope, that wasn't that person. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure it's John the Baptist, too. But that's in our liturgy. We sing that particular phrase often, and Jesus is almost, well, it's not exclusively, but certainly primarily the atonement for our sins. And so that covers everything. It covers our baptism. We're baptized into that atonement. It covers Lord's Supper. We uh, we participate in the forgiveness given to us there. Uh, we don't recreate it. That's a different theology, but we participate in it, um, in God's presence there through the atonement. And then liturgically, uh, we say lots of stuff about atonement. You go to a a traditional Lutheran service and you're going to hear a lot of Bible, but it's going to be a lot of Bible that focuses on that uh, metaphor for what God does through Jesus. So yeah, it was primarily just Jesus is our Paschal Lamb is the majority of what I heard growing up. So the almost, if not the exclusive focus was on Jesus in relation to sin and atonement. Yep. Yep. Jesus was the one we always went to. Um, So as simple as this, because of the atonement uh, that we focus on or justification, we can only pray to God through Jesus because he is our mediator. Uh, Uh, Right. So you never pray to God directly. Uh, So. Theologically, you can. In a Lutheran setting, it's preferred that you do not. because. And I'm going to go way out on a limb and think you don't pray directly no. to the Spirit. Huh? <laughs> I knew where you are going to go. <laughs> no, we don't really. In fact, one of the things that I had to learn in seminary was from a professor who said, 
you know, it's okay to pray to God the Father and pray to God the Spirit. Um, you don't even have to say through Jesus Christ. And, you know, some people were really kind of scandalized <laughs> by that. <laughs> I just, I love it because those questions never even came up for me. Yeah, it was, it's crazy. So, it, you know, a highlight of how central justification is specifically atonement was growing up and really just in our theology. Um, it informs a lot of what we did. And Jesus, so what was tricky was Jesus, of course, is more than that, right? He's a teacher. He is a, a compassionate person. He's somebody who shows a great deal of love. Um, and we've talked about some of the difficulties in my tradition of comparing love to forgiveness, almost like they're the same thing. Equating them to the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's just a lot about Jesus. And then there's things that we hear about Jesus that doesn't fit within the atonement stuff, right? So there's Jesus really in Revelations hard for us. Right, right. Um, with the On the white horse with the sword right, coming out of his mouth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've listened to some of our podcasts, that would be Christus Victor, V I C T O R. And we just don't have a robust vocabulary around that. Uh, so those kinds of things make us really nervous. In fact, when Jesus goes into uh, Jerusalem as the, uh, you know, Palm Sunday, the victorious mm -hmm. king, we downplay his victory. We foreshadow that's basically what we use that for as a foreshadowing of his death upon the cross rather than his victory march into jerusalem for what he's about to do right yeah that was a big deal <laughs> yeah that was a big deal yeah hmm. um so it sounds like you know if you had to pick a person of the trinity that your system was based on I'm going to go out again on another limb here and say that <laughs> Jesus was your guy. Jesus was definitely our guy and uh you know something really interesting about that is for Jesus to be that guy we really had to do a lot of things that you see in evangelicalism although we did it differently and we did it for different reasons and what we saw in evangelicalism a lot, I saw this specifically when I was in college and time after that, was a defense of God's divinity. So that can boil down to the uh, the omnis, right? God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and so forth. I never remember any other ones. Omniscient, yes. There you go, all-knowing. And we defend God's divinity because what matters to us is maintaining Jesus's divinity. And Jesus's divinity is really important for that atonement to actually work, because if Jesus is not divine, then he cannot possibly pay for our sins. Which is interesting, because, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but if Jesus is not human, he cannot pay for our sins. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get there, I guess. Right, we will. And, you know, that's part of that train of heresies, too, because um, they did try to protect his humanity quite a right. bit. I'm sure they never said he wasn't human. That's right, not what no. I meant. I just, it sounds like they, well, it seems that they really, really leaned into the important part was Jesus is divine. Right. And while that's true, it's like, yeah, but it's it's just as important that he's human. So I'm trying to think of a really good way to describe this. And I think maybe... We'll see how it goes. But I think maybe John provides us an opportunity to see what this is going on. So John, for me now, 
is a beautiful gospel of how Jesus is compassionate and he's always pushing us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He says that twice. He actually mm-hmm. he says to love others as he has loved us twice right. at least. Um, but when I was growing up, it was mostly what we focused on with John were the seven instances of him saying, I am. I am. Well, that, oh, his divinity again. His divinity, right? Because yeah. so most people here listening probably know this, but it harkens back to where God gives Moses his name. You want to know my name? Right he, at the bush. Yeah. Yahweh, right? But, you know, it's not I really a name. I am. But, yeah, or I am. However, you say that in English. Yeah. I will be who I will be is what somebody once right. said. Yeah. And so we really like that part of John to highlight Jesus's divinity rather than all those other times where he sh- he really seems meek and mild, you know, at the women of the well uh-huh. and so on and so forth. Not to mention the way John starts out his gospel. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> the very first thing John wants us to know yeah. <laughs> is that the word became flesh. Oh, and that's during Christmas. We have that a lot. Right. Like we use that right. part of John a lot. Sure, but it's a lot more than just Christmas. I mean, yeah. yes, it's Christmas, but yeah, it's just, it's funny. It's interesting. Yeah, so we focused a lot on the divinity of Jesus in order to, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but the whole reason we did that was because we wanted to focus on the satisfaction that Jesus earned for us upon the cross to justify us of our sins. You're or, forgiven, yeah. And forgive us and to reward us as heirs. Um, All scriptural language, but that's basically who Jesus was growing up. We preached week in and week out on the different ways that we could see that happening um, throughout scripture, whether that is foretelling it, and we love Isaiah 40 through 55, uh-huh. Um, or, you know, Paul, of course, <laughs> telling us of course. Uh, that's what's going on, right? So that's that was Jesus for me. No wonder you guys like Romans so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's Romans is like saturated with that idea. So <laughs> makes sense. So how about you? That That's as I'm hearing you interact with that description of Jesus. It doesn't sound like that's quite where you were. What, who's Jesus for you? Yeah, I mean, I think there was some of that in that it was very much the case that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God, son of God, you know, um, those things. Uh because, I, I mean, they share the same atonement, basic atonement theory, even if they don't use it the same way in liturgy and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, so, I mean, that was certainly in there. But the, st- the part that sticks with me the most, like when we were thinking about doing this, I was thinking, okay, so what do I remember hearing the most about Jesus? My experience of it was that, yes, Jesus is divine and God, but also, and I don't know about more importantly, but it's the part that I remember more. Um, Jesus is, well, honestly, Jesus is, uh, it's not just that Jesus is human, although Jesus is, but that Jesus is uh, present and with us in a way that changes everything, right? Mm. So, I mean, I imagine that somewhat makes sense in that imminence is kind of a Uh, something baked into the premise of Pentecostalism, right? Usually the presence of God through the Spirit. But, I mean, I remember when I was six or whatever and I got saved, you know, as they say, I asked Jesus into my heart, right? Now, of course, that means Jesus has to be divine because a human can't live in your heart. (laughs) Yeah. In in like a, a, you know. But um, 
at the same time, like there's something very human about that conception of it, right? Because you're taking your heart, the center of you as a person, you know, how we understand that kind of. And you're saying that Jesus is there. So Jesus is in our life. Jesus is in our spiritual life, our daily life, our um, like all the time. I mean, how could you get away from someone who lives in your heart, right? Yeah. Um, so there's very much, I know. <laughs> that like, could be taken it, either way, right? <laughs> yeah, it could, I guess. But in the sense of like, Jesus was, I think, I remember thinking of Jesus as, um, you know, it's interesting. I've talked a lot about how I was afraid of God and and because I was sinning and going to hell and all that. I don't really remember thinking of that mostly in terms of Jesus. I remember thinking of that mostly in terms of God. Me right? too, yeah. Um, because Jesus was the one who forgives. Jesus yeah. was the one who loves all the time. Um, nothing can separate me from the love of God and Christ, you know, all, all of these things. But like Jesus was also someone who, when I said present in our daily lives, I don't mean just there. Like Jesus was present, but also working, right? So Jesus okay. protected us. Jesus heals us. Jesus, uh, you know, gives us uh, knowledge that we need. I remember it even to the point, and I still think it's this way a lot today, but even to the point of like when I would pray, I would talk to Jesus like I'd talk to another person, like mm. a friend, you know, like I don't have to go through a formula. I just say Jesus and then I pray, you know, whether that's out loud or just my own internal prayer that I do, like I would ask Jesus to help me find things I lost kind of thing. You know, did Jesus ever do that? I don't know. But my conception of Jesus was that Jesus did those things because Jesus cared so much about even the minute details of my life. Yeah. What well, was kind of wild when we were first becoming friends was listening to you pray when we went out to lunch. <laughs> and then I'm sure the same was the other way around, too. Of Like mine was a little bit more formal. And then yours was just like, hey, Jesus, you're cool. We're cool. Let's have uh -huh. good dinner or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing is, like, that was the conception of Jesus that, honestly, like, I'm sure there are theological things you could talk about and, you know, whatever, but I'm actually really glad for that perspective on Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there were other things in there, too, that were less, less good. But um, this idea that um, I like the idea that Jesus is simultaneously all these things of, yes, Jesus forgives us, but Jesus loves us, but Jesus guides us, protects us, heals us, is our best friend, is a superhero. I mean, whatever, you know, that's what you tell the kids, right? There yeah. was a whole song about that. And again, could you problematize that? Probably. But I like this fact that Jesus is there all the time and is everything we need at, at, all, like, at all times. Okay. I, really, I really like that. So was the main metaphor then for you? So mine mine was, of course, justification, atonement, um, or let's say the substitutionary part of that, uh, the stand-in mediator, that kind of thing. Is yours friend? Is that the main metaphor? Sort of. I think that yes, but not friend in the sense that another human is your friend, right? Like there was very much a recognition that there's more to Jesus than like, like that, that Jesus is is not the same as my friend from down the street, right? But in terms of the relationship and how Jesus acts, um, yeah, I, honestly, I think so. You know, I mean, even you could even, they talk about the verse of like, what does Jesus say about no one has greater love than the one that lays down mm -hmm. yeah. life for their friends, right? Right. Um, 
I might have messed up that quote. No, that's what he says. That's so, what he says, yeah. Yeah, so I I guess so. I mean, I never really thought about it that way until now, <laughs> like put it together that way. Mm-hmm. But the at least the one that has stuck with me as I think about it is is that idea of friend, but like friend in the sense that that one friend you have that would literally step in front of a bus for you to save you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and that works and with could. whether. Right. <laughs> and that works with atonement, but it also works with all this other stuff, too. Um, there is nothing that Jesus has not done and would not do for you because Jesus's love hmm. loves us that much. So it sounds really kind of intimate and close. Yeah, which again probably isn't surprising given how that's like I said that has been part of Pentecostalism since the beginning even if they tend to focus on the spirit. But I mean, even that, right? I yeah. mean, like same idea. Uh so yeah, I I think so. Very intimate, very close, very imminent, very um present and I think it that conception of Jesus can really help you make it, can really help you keep going, can really, really help when things um, have gone to shit <laughs> in your life, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying none of us ever said, well, wait a minute, why is it like this? And you've got the people who go the other direction, the prosperity types, you know. But, um, but for me, like this idea of Jesus as my friend um, my best friend, my, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, honestly, it's probably been a big part of why I never really left the whole, never really gave up on Christianity, even when there were times when I came close, <laughs> you know, like there's been some times in the last few years where I've like, you know, maybe this isn't worth it because it's been a hard period in my life. But mm-hmm. I think this idea, this, this perspective of Jesus, this, honestly, this experience of Jesus for me has what has I tell people that I never left because Jesus wouldn't let me go yeah so that's kind of where it sounds like we both were at in terms of what we learned and what we remember our experience of Jesus or our understanding of Jesus growing up so Nate um like we always do then I guess the next question is so not just where are you at today, but what were the things or what was it that started making you look at that differently? Uh, this is like, this is such a hard question to answer because there's just so much. Um, it ranges from, I think I'll just name a couple and see which one resonates the most with me. One of the big ones, I think, was... There's this huge reduction of the text in the story, what's going on, if all you're doing is looking for justification. Hmm. Uh, And I started to, my wife will tell you that before I became a pastor, I just started tuning out sermons because there was nothing really going on within them. Well, I mean, with respect here, I've often wondered um, how people who hear that sermon every week how would you not tune it out? Yeah. I mean, you could almost preach it yourself. I mean, you really could. And we we experienced this in Kentucky for a little while. And there's a church there. The pastor was such a nice guy. I mean, he really was. Not that kind of phony nice where you're like, I got to say something critical, so I'm going to call him a nice guy. <laughs> a genuinely nice person. He yeah. was a genuinely nice guy. He was helping me get into seminary. 
And he was he was just such a law gospel preacher. And I knew what his sermon was going to be every mm-hmm. single time. Yeah. It didn't really matter what the text was. So there's that. There's that component of it. So another one that started to creep in, and we've talked about this a lot, is um, you know that whole difference between Christus Victor and Christus Vicar and how atonement theories shift within those paradigms. And, uh, you know, I just started to, I haven't moved away from atonement theory as we've been talked about, uh, taught necessarily, but it's just been incomplete. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a complete picture of what's going on in scripture. Um, justification can happen, I think, regardless of your atonement theory, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> probably one the would most, hope, uh, right? One, yeah, would, one hope would hope so. <laughs> and probably the most like academic I'll get in this conversation. But um, so I've got those kind of things going on. I'm kind of getting bored with reading the Bible um, and hearing the Bible preached. I'm starting to like question this uh, dependency on a Christus Vicar model and the atonement theory within that. But I think, so I think the biggest one really is that I started to see Jesus. It's so funny. Like we don't plan this, but it's so funny. Just seeing him more like you saw him, seeing him more as a human being, seeing him more as somebody who struggled. And one of my biggest beginning stories that I really latched on to was the Garden of Gethsemane. Hmm. I wondered if the, that was, yeah. Yeah, because there we see, so the way that the uh, Lutheran story or Lutheran narrative would kind of describe what happened in Gethsemane is that Jesus in his weakness as a human being, even though it's not Jesus being weak, because we got to be careful um i mean we don't (laughs) we can't have that right uh he is wanting his humanity is wanting to be free of this and um his divinity steps in and reminds him you know and i'm being very uh crass here but his divinity steps in and, and reminds him what he's doing he's doing this for humanity at large he's doing it for all people and he remembers that his, uh, I don't want to say loyalty, but his love for his father supersedes his own expressions. So his, his divinity kind of has to suppress or, or fight back his humanity, which is trying to steer him the wrong direction. huh? Yeah, I think the way that they would say that is redeem his humanity right. um, or redeem our humanity through him um, because his humanity doesn't need redemption, you know. Um, as a person, that's how they would talk about it. And it's really fuzzy because, um, I don't remember it as much. And I'm sure there's some Lutherans that preach this differently than I would, who may be screaming and saying, no, that's not at all. But But, that was the way you experienced it regardless of what. Yeah. So, yeah. And I started to really see myself and what Jesus was doing is like, cause life started to become more real, you know, Mm. outside of teenage years, even though it's real during teenage years, uh, just a lot different than I had previously experienced. And I started to just say, if I knew that I was going to be Mm. in such pain and torment for a bunch of ungrateful jerks, 
throughout history and for all yeah. of eternity. Yeah. And, you know, localized because I'm still within my own narratives, especially for some guy named Nate who keeps on doing things that he shouldn't be doing and so on and so forth. I would definitely be somebody who would want to get out of that. Um, and that's, you know, there's such a long process, but I just started to see how his humanity was so beautiful in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I resonated with uh, pictures that showed his agony during that mm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and just started to see that Jesus was like me in terms of his humanity. And I could really connect with him in a way I never did before. Well, yeah, even Jesus asks God, could we do this some other way? Yeah. Right. I mean, in the end, Jesus does what God wants. But but um, yeah, I remember that for me, that was a big story, too, because even with what I said about growing up, that story was still it, it hit me one day of like man like this is this makes jesus so real right like jesus yeah. so genuine and authentic in a sense that like i hadn't thought about before yeah and i think honestly i don't think that's anything necessarily against my tradition um, probably not yours either although i'm not going to speak for yours it was probably just more of a growing up thing. Like you grow up and you start to see things in a different way, at least as someone who is white and privileged like me, you know? Right. Um, so I experienced that. And then I just, I kind of wanted more. I wanted to see Jesus's humanity elsewhere. And as I started to see more and more of his humanity, I started to, move kind of away from an emphasis at least on uh, his divinity and I chuckle because now I'm emphasizing his humanity mm-hmm. um, but that's kind of how I would say that's my explanation as best as I can to describe how I filled out my understanding of who Jesus is and those other two things started to really make an impact right I started to read text as if they were written by human people Um, and noticing things that, you know, I think are just basic noticing marks, but people will come up to me after a sermon and say, oh, I really loved how you spent time. Like, uh, the other, other week I talked about Judas and the last supper and, and kind of just spent time going through what the last supper would look like, you know, what it would look like with people eating Passover and celebrating that together. And to add some, you know, real life human elements to that of laughing together and having conversations about, (laughs) uh, I don't know, I'm not good at this kind of stuff without notes, but, you know, I was going to say flat tires, but they don't have flat tires. (laughs) Well, but like, I mean, Jesus and John were there and they were best buds. Yeah. And you have to think they were joking and laughing. Yeah. You know, whatever else was going on, like this was a. I mean, until Jesus made (laughs) kind of killed the mood, um, you know, it was probably a good time, right? Like, like, or a normal thing. Yeah. yeah. And the everydayness of him washing their feet, even though it's Mm -hmm. significant, you know, it's just such an everyday moment of it's not this clean and clear thing that people do for sermon illustrations, right? This is a giant tub of water that he's got to bring around. He's Mm -hmm. cleaning the feet of 12 people at least. 
Who had very dirty feet. With very dirty feet. So that means he's going back and forth between the water and that, you know, to clean it out. And he's got to get new. It's just all the like everyday human stuff filled out the story for me and filled out the experience for me. So that way it's not just, okay, what is Jesus teaching us here? But how is he teaching it? And, and you know, what does that mean for how he teaches me things, how he walks with me in my life? through things i really started to fill that out so the question i was wanting to ask was because i I think i i just want to make sure that i'm not um assuming what you mean when i maybe don't know but so you talked a lot about how good it's been to see jesus as more of a human right to see jesus's human nature Mm -hmm. um and i know you talked about like viewing the the Bible and looking always for justification is reductionistic and you miss a lot. But was there, what was, or was there something about the emphasis on Jesus's divinity that was harmful to you? Or what was the, like, what was problematic? Was it just that you felt like something was missing or was there more to it than that? I don't know. I'll answer it how I'm thinking. And then you tell me if that's harmful or, or missing. If Jesus is just divine, then it's really hard for me to connect with him. It's mm-hmm. really hard for me to do anything other than see him as an atonement piece. Yeah. Because, you know, he may be teaching us how to live our life. We, I, I just have a hard time seeing that in my heritage. I don't think that that's really talked about too much. It's more how we have either failed in our uh, you know, following of the law, how Jesus followed the law perfectly for us, or how he was some sort of, I mean, even following the law perfectly is part and parcel of being a good atonement for right, our sins. Right, yeah, perfect sacrifice. Yeah, or the actual work of his ministry to show that he came here to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I guess maybe the harmful part would be something we've talked about before and I just brought up earlier, is that if Jesus is just the atonement, and that's because we have to focus on his divinity, then Jesus can't really love me. He can only really forgive me. Okay. Yeah. Right. So there's uh, now Jesus. I resonated with what you said. I always was more afraid of God than I was Jesus. Mm-hmm. But thinking this out loud, maybe the harmful piece is that I still wasn't really seen in this theology as valuable. I was merely seen as a cog in this great story of Jesus forgiving and I should be so lucky that I'm on the right side or whatever. Yeah. I mean, transactional relationships aren't very deep. Right. right? Yeah. In the sense that like, yeah, Jesus forgives us. Great. But if that's it, like you said, then that's, um, it's almost more of a business arrangement. Maybe that's not fair, but I just like, that's how it sounds. I'm not saying that's what anybody intends by it. Um, but like, yeah, this idea that I did, Jesus did, done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I probably have to think about that some more, but that's, 
where I would answer it right now. And so I think it's probably both. It's both a little harmful and incomplete. Yeah. Um, that's what we're doing here is trying to explore these things as yeah. they come up, you know. That's 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 about what I thought you were where you were going, but I don't like I was trying not to assume I knew what you meant because I don't always know what everybody means, you know. <laughs> yeah. It comes up a lot in my job of where I assume someone's saying something and going somewhere and then I find out, "Oh, nope, I need to pay attention to what they're actually saying and not what I think they're going to say," you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So how about you? Where were the cracks or the uh, maybe even revelations that you made that either challenged or moved you from where you grew up? Yeah, I think I think for me it was a little different in that I don't I don't think there's a lot I need to reform about the idea, my conception and experience of Jesus as I talked about, except that. Lately, uh, in the last few years, especially, certainly right now, gosh, but especially in the last few years or just in the last few years, I've been realizing that my version of Jesus was missing. I guess I I would say it was missing something. Um, Okay. And for me, what that was is, you know, we spent all the time talking about Jesus as Savior for forgiver is that a word forgiver um you know all those things best friend yeah but i don't remember ever hearing about jesus the radical jesus the reformer i mean maybe the reformer in the sense of he told the pharisees they were doing it wrong and okay you know don't be that way but i mean jesus was radical in every sense of the world word he was radical in, religiously because like i said he told the whole system of his day that Not only were they, he didn't just tell them that they were doing things wrong. He told them that they were perverting what they were doing, you know. Um, Jesus was um, someone who sought out the marginalized and downtrodden in society, whether that's lepers or Samaritans or women or, um, you know, tax collectors, take your pick, right? Um, There's even some places where he helps Gentiles out. And like by killing their pigs. Well, yeah. So I, you have to think that I don't imagine they were too happy about that. But <laughs> right. but but you know, people afflicted by evil spirits. I mean, that guy uh-huh. that guy was out in the desert because they couldn't they didn't know what to do with him, right? Yeah. And yet Jesus did what he did, and even though it it caused quite the ruckus where he was, you know. So I think what I'm trying to say is not so much that Jesus was some kind of left-wing radical, as I think tends to be kind of the caricature of what I'm saying, except that I think this idea that Jesus is all of those things, like best friend and, you know, even lover in the sense that that works, but also Jesus is the one who turned over the tables and scourged people with whips you know, when doing so was what had to happen to right injustice. Like Jesus was the one who stepped in to stop the woman from being stoned, even though by the law she should have been, you know, I mean, we don't know what else was going on there. Maybe, but, but regardless, like that was, that was what should have happened there. It's funny because I remember hearing a lot about how as Christians, we shouldn't be like the world. But I feel like our conception of Jesus was also one that eventually became very much entrenched in our understanding of the world. Mm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, yeah. like you know, as from a, you know, certainly by the time I was a teenager, middle class white family, 
we were never rich by any means, but I always had everything I needed, you know. And it wasn't even a political thing as much. I mean, there were elements of that, I guess. But it was more this idea that, like, you know, family values as we understand them and um, even certain political things. But all this stuff, I feel like I'm having a hard time explaining this. But what I'm trying to say is that, like, we kind of did make a white American or Canadian, in our case, Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. um, who was all those things about, you know, forgiver and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I don't remember a lot of talk about radically opposing injustice, you know, or radical or turning over the tables in the temples. And I mean, honestly, I think you could see that some of our churches today could use some tables being turned over for money type things. You know, we got we got I don't know like much about them, but we got people on TV claiming to be preachers who are saying they need Mm. planes so they can be close to God when they pray, (laughs) you know, their tables could use some turning over. Right. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I don't, I don't remember a lot of that. And I remember like, we should help poor people. We should, we should help people and love people and, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't remember. I think we always focused on justice when it came to God. You know, I don't remember us ever seeing Jesus in that way. Okay. Interesting. So was, uh, was that Jesus interested in forming an establishment? Well, looking back at it now, I think the answer was yes. Although I don't think that that was the answer that would be given, right? Like I don't think, I don't think that was the um, the goal, right? I don't think anybody who did that would say, like, would be able to say or admit, "Oh yes, we're doing this because we want Jesus to fit into our own cultural boxes," you know. But I think that is what ended up happening at the same time. It's not it's not a sinister thing. It's not. I mean, I'm sure there were some. But generally speaking, especially in like my church and stuff, you know, and the people I knew, it wasn't that they said, well, you know, I I know Jesus says we should do these radical countercultural things, but we're not going to do them. (laughs) It was I think it was almost this reduction of Jesus's countercultural radicalism radicality, whatever the word is, um, was reduced to his love, right? He loves everybody, and that is radical and countercultural. Okay. I agree. That is true. That is radical and countercultural, right? Like forgiving everybody, even bad people, is countercultural. But also, there's a lot more to it than that that I don't remember ever being part of the discussion. Yeah. Hmm. Our church, we were not, uh, we weren't, super close but we were not far from some native reservations and we had some people in our church who were native canadians you know aboriginal first peoples you know i i remember there being discussion of how terrible a lot of those things that were done to them was and i remember you know even like there being talk of reconciliation and stuff, but it never went further than that, that I remember, Mm. you know, now I was a kid, so maybe there was more than I remember, but I mean, I remember going, we went to a service at a church on a reservation one time and I was very young, so I don't remember much of what happened, but I don't, you know, I don't remember anyone talking about this idea that, okay, but like, 
it's not enough to be feel sorrow for what happened. What are we going to do about the stuff today? <laughs> That's good you to know? hear. Yeah. Like what, what are we going to do? Like there's still disparity economically yeah. and all, all kinds of stuff where native peoples are still oppressed and taken advantage of. And I don't remember anyone ever talking about, do you think Jesus would have just left it that way? Oh, okay. Or, you know, like I, I don't think Jesus would have, I mean, I don't right. know what Jesus would have done, but. Like I said, I think about Jesus going to all those people that were excluded and, and all that. So right. um, anyway, I, that's the that's what's been making me think about it today is because mm. partly because it I'm sorry, it's not hard to look around in America and see raging injustice everywhere. Yeah. You know, um, for anyone other than straight white dudes, it, it, there's there's lots to go around and some more than others. And I think. The response, as you and I've talked about on here and, and outside of the podcast, has been largely, well, it's a spiritual issue and we need there needs to be forgiveness and maybe even reconciliation. But then the conversation stops. Right. You know, yep. there's no acknowledgement of like, well, no, Jesus wants us to do more than say sorry if we're even willing to do that. Um, not everybody is. But like Jesus wants us to repent. And then like, how do we work to make it better? You know? So where does that cut? So for me, that makes sense because I know exactly where that comes from. It comes from our emphasis on justification. And so if we replay Jesus's justification of us in our relationships, then we have done something. And we've not only done something, we've done the thing. But for you, it doesn't seem like that's like, that's not how you describe Jesus. Jesus for you is walking through your life and helping you. So Where's that disconnect? Why is there not a, a desire to walk alongside other people as they struggle in this life? You know, I think the disconnect, in fact, I'm pretty sure this is largely where it comes from, is certainly in my brand of Pentecostalism, but probably most, if not all of it. I think the, the disconnect is that the idea is, well, once you have Jesus, that's the mo- that's all that really matters, right? Jesus, so like in the situation I described, if we can get, you know, say we went to that reservation and they all got, quote, saved, right? Well, that's that's the important thing. That's what needs to happen. Now their lives are better. Oh, and okay. that sounds like, I know that sounds, that's in some ways overly reductionistic, but honestly, it's not. Like there's a long history of uh, Pentecostals and, and evangelicals in general yeah. being against social justice and social gospel type things because what matters is not what happens on the earth what matters is what happens with people's souls right and i think maybe the idea that if everybody is a christian things will just get better because christians will be better will do good things which side note didn't work out so well anyway um, and all you need is two years of church leadership to know well, that's a crock if of that shit. you know go yeah. to a seminary and look at some of the people there and be like oh, <laughs> oh, oh they're gonna work you know um but i think i think a big part of the disconnect is there's been a fear of of doing more than just the gospel piece as they understand it and and I mean, then, you know, the, the conservative stuff about, well, people have to help themselves yeah, gets in yeah, there, too. Right. But theologically speaking, I think the biggest disconnect is that the only thing that matters is Jesus. So once they got Jesus, that's all we need to do. Yeah, I could see that. One of the first conversations I had here it was within the first year. I didn't know he was doing this, but a, an older gentleman in the congregation was coming to tell me uh, you know, tell me off. And 
Uh, he did so in such a nice way, I didn't realize he was telling me off until much later. <laughs> but he's told me, he said, you know, the only thing you got to do is you got to preach people into heaven. That's all you got to do. If you preach mm-hmm. people into heaven, then everything else takes care of itself. And that's Whatever why that you're means. here. Yeah. <laughs> and what he was asking was, you know, to constantly, and we've talked about this, the Glasshouse Christianity, and constantly reassure him that he's going to heaven. Right. That's kind of what he was pleading for. Because we don't have that strong missional sense like you do, so right. it's more it would be more comfort the conscience for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have that same thing too. Is Jesus is there to? I mean, we are here to make sure that Jesus is in our lives, and that's pretty much it. As long as he's yeah. in our life, everything's good. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think to be fair to some of this was a cultural problem in North America writ large. So I was growing oh, up yeah. in the nineties. Right. And I think the nineties, we kind of thought, Oh, we, we fixed all the problems. We're good. Right. <laughs> and yet if you watch movies or TV shows from the nineties and the way they talk about women and rape and all kinds yeah. of like horrible things and race and all this stuff. And it's like, we didn't have it all figured out or anywhere even close to it. But I think there was this idea that, like, at least in the Western world, well, we things are pretty good, you know? Yeah. And then it turned out that that was not the case. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, because it's not like looking back at it now, it's not like like today. It's very hard to look around and not see injustice, at least for me. Uh, the thing is, though, in the 90s, I think if you looked, it wouldn't have been hard to see it either if you actually looked right. Like the the legacy and history of the terrible things that were done to native peoples was very much a thing in the 90s just mm-hmm. like it is today yeah. i mean uh, like racial history in the us has been a problem for 400 years it didn't start now you know so even though that you know in this in the anyway yeah um i get you yeah so i just i think i think the idea of jesus as someone who brings justice in more than just an eternal sense, was, I think, entirely absent. And I think the last few years, and especially right now, I'm looking around and I read about Jesus in the in the scriptures, and I see that that was not something that was absent from Jesus's character and ministry. In fact, quite the opposite. Interesting. So I want to ask a question instead of going to our usual third one, because this sounds like it's a little different. Usually we ask, you know, what kind of hope you have, because we spent a lot more time talking about some of the difficulties and cracks. But this time we haven't done that. I'm going to ask something a little bit different, because I think what the answer we got to for both of us, it was a different flavor to this answer, but it was the same answer, which was Jesus was given to us incomplete. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jesus, the idea of Jesus, of course, Jesus as a person, as the person of the Trinity, was not, but you know, our awareness of what that really looked like <laughs> is going to be different, and it certainly was incomplete. So, I guess a better question to ask instead of what do you hope for for the future, I'm going to ask you Is there room within your tradition for that completed or more complete Jesus? Hmm. It will be a tough road in a lot of ways, I think. Now, I'm going to hedge a little bit and say, you know, we started out as a pretty amazing work 
of God, something new in a way, you know. So who knows what God can and will do. But I think that the heritage of being so opposed to social justice, and specifically the social gospel as they understood it way back in the 1700s and when they were, when this was really the thing between, you know, evangelicals and well the ones who would become evangelicals and the more liberal types in Christianity combined with the fact that at least in the US anyway and probably Canada too it's a little different but in terms of culturally speaking evangelicals have enjoyed an outsized influence on society and i think that giving up i think that seeing or working for justice in society is going to require giving some of that up in some pretty significant ways. And so I I think that is going to be a very tough pill to swallow. And it's going to be, it's hard, right? Like I, I've come a long way in that I can say a lot of these things need to happen. But I admit I struggle to know how to do them or always, I, I don't always know what to do, you know. But even right. when I have an idea of what needs to happen, I don't often know how to do it. So like... It's not me saying, come on over here, guys, I'll tell you, we've got it all figured out and I'm going to fix racism, you know. No, but is there room in the system for it? Well, I think there can be, but I do think that it will be difficult. Um, And I wonder if the tumult (laughs) we're seeing today is a large part of that is, is them wrestling with not just the way things have changed, but that, that uh, you know, for a group that loves revival so much, I think they're going to have to admit that some things need to die. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of required for a revival to happen. Something's got to die first. Or something has to admit it's already dead, maybe? I don't know. And I'm not talking about the movement as a whole there. I just mean... Well, maybe, I don't know, but like more about these specific things of it's going to be pretty difficult to to give up things. It's, it's hard to cede your place of privilege and power. Yeah. Know? Our system is constructed in a way that even when you want to, you can't entirely give up your privilege, you know. So the question is, how do you is the, is there a way to use privilege in a way that helps address the diff, you know, that kind of stuff. And mm. I hope that more people will be willing to ask those questions and explore and get outside of our own bubble and like act not just like not just like admit hey these things are bad and we need to change them but like we can't do that by convening a council of eight other white people (laughs) or whatever (laughs) you know like right repentance isn't enough and we're not going to get past we're not going to get anywhere if we don't open ourselves up to the uncomfortable, not just reality, but the uncomfortable situ- world situation, the, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's going to be quite the thing. And I hope that people will do it. And like I said, I don't know what it's, God can do amazing things and God does, you know, but um, yeah, I think there, I think there is room for it because and then I'll, I'll let you talk for a bit, but it just, <laughs> one of the reasons I think there's room for it is because at the beginning of American Pentecostalism, it was not like this, right? You had them talking about at Azusa Street, you had white people and black people and men and women and 
um, other people from all over the world all together in this one place. And black people were praying for white people. And they talked about the color line being washed away in the blood, right? Because mm. Jesus made, you know, everybody the same. And, um, you know, men were pastors and women were pastors and all like all of this happened from the beginning. And then as time went on, those things started to be less and less because, you yeah. know, I think, um, some bad stuff got in the way. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I think there's room for it or there can be room again, but, um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard one to do. So what about for you? Is there room within your system for a more human Jesus? I do think that there is room. And I think that there's room not just because I hope that it's possible. But I have really seen a hunger for the humanity of Jesus. Hmm. Is that I think what I'm starting to discover more in my lifetime is what people are really uh, either aware of as older adults or they're becoming aware of it um, in journeys just like mine, is that there are tremendous limitations to how we talk about things. And there are limitations within our system. Let me give you kind of a controversial example. Oh, my favorite kind. Yeah. There is a limitation within Lutheranism, and I'm sure it's across the board, about how to talk about transgender people. Tremendous limitation, because the only way we've ever talked about gender is a close connection between gender and sex. Hmm. Um, and we don't have a way to navigate that. Unless, <laughs> which most conservatives do unless you just double down on what's been said for you know a little while but we just it's just highlighting a very clear example of how we don't have language we don't have pretty much anything to handle that other than the very basic of what i'm trying to do is just hey can we show compassion and can we listen i mean jesus asked questions and listened first and then because he was God, he could speak into that. Maybe we should, you know, not speak into it and just keep on asking questions and walk alongside people. But we have that in our tradition a little bit. Um, and so we have room for that. But I think what we're starting to discover, to get back to the point, is that there are limitations that we're discovering more and more. And it comes just like a simple thing. Like when you did it several times in our conversation, like I'm not trying, I don't quite know what words I'm trying to, you know, come up with. I'm not quite sure how to really explain this because the, where our brains go, the two options, usually two, but probably more are not attractive to us. They're not helpful. Mm -hmm. They're not good. Like, you know, to just be crass and say, you've got a conservative and liberal example I can go here and say something conservative. Well, I don't quite like that. There's something there that I like, but not really. And over here, liberal, uh, I kind of like that maybe a little bit more, but still, it's just there's something off about it. And I really, you know, and so we're discovering that bit more. And I think when it comes to the humanity of Jesus and the implications of all of that, I'm sensing that in pastors and parishioners. And, you know, pretty much anybody who doesn't have power, hmm. um, if they have power, then they're not really interested, I don't think. 
Um, I don't well, think there's room there. There's a lot of other considerations for them. Yeah. So I do think that there's uh, room for it. Um, I still think it takes courage, and I do still think it would take a... It's still going to be a hard road. But I have noticed some resonance with the human being known as Jesus of Nazareth a lot more. Now, I do have detractors who will come and say, like the gentleman I mentioned who said, you just got to preach people into heaven. And if you listen to my preaching career so far, I don't really do substitutionary atonement. (laughs) Um, And that bothers people because they're so used to hearing that. And uh, so I get into that and I'm kind of rambling on, but the, an- the short answer is yes, and the long answer is all that rambling that I just gave. Well, I mean, I think it's just that both of these things, well, these things that we're talking about for both of us and anyone else to whom they apply, I mean, paradigm shifts are not easy, right? I mean, the right. whole idea is that your your fundamental way of understanding has shifted, either to add a new possibility or to like that you hadn't thought of, or that maybe the one you had before wasn't right, or or whatever it is. Like, I think we should expect it to be really difficult and and almost yeah. uh, and life changing and radical and all these things. But I mean, isn't that what Jesus is in the business of doing? Changing yeah, yeah. things, shifting paradigms. I mean, gosh, what were we ta- the way he talked to the religious people of his day, right? I mean, talk about paradigm shift. Yeah. He's saying, this is how Rabbi so-and-so has told you forever, but I'm saying this, and it's the exact opposite. (laughs) Like, this is how you've understood this law, but actually, you missed the point. Here it is. Like, all I'm trying to say is that um, I don't... (laughs) We've made Jesus so safe, (laughs) and Jesus was never Mm. safe. Yeah. Never. I mean, like, Jesus, this is the guy that told us that we have to pick up our cross and die to ourselves. What part of that sounds safe? Yeah. None of it, right? I mean, it's not. It's never has been safe. It, I Maybe I've said this before, and I, I, you know, there are lots of things you could talk about, about uh, the Narnia books in terms of their view of atonement. But one of the things they say about Aslan is that he's not a tame lion, right? Right. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways we've tamed Jesus in whatever form that looks like, whether that's emphasizing one thing and forgetting something else or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I think one of the things we're missing is that that's what we should expect Jesus to do. We should expect him to shatter our paradigms and give us new ones. That's what he always does. That's what I think we need him to do. So that's a little bit about our heritage and where we are with the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're so glad that you listened to us uh, talk about that today. Uh, It was a little bit of a different field today. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation, and I hope you did too, Ryan. Um, It was terrible. I hated it. No, it was great. You're screwing up this X outro. (laughs) That's what I do. That's what you do. The disruptor over here. Uh, But we do appreciate you listening, and we want to hear your story. We want to hear your questions, your thoughts, whether that's about specific topics or about the podcast in general. Would you like to hear us talk about something different? Uh, We're open to suggestions. We really are, and we're really interested to hear how you're walking on this frontier. And so email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. 
And we look forward to engaging in a conversation with you whenever you decide that something you would like to do. As always, we do want to thank you as we walk on this frontier together. And we want to end by reminding you that it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know what you believe or even why you believe it. We're just on this frontier together, walking with our Lord as we learn more about Him, each other, and this great thing that He's given us, this life we have together.